0: and welcome into another episode of the vigilant sports pacer's podcast i'm scott agnes coming to you from the north side of indianapolis in the home of scott pollard and maybe this is a demo scott and scott in the morning mike and mike's yeah. gone i don't know maybe we'll give it a try but scott scott, scott and scott
1: i like it the let's quest- do that one t two t i was going to say that's it's like
0: redfish bluefish that's the question though who gets the priority we can, i well, think it's got to be you with the one t
1: one t right. four letters before five i'm older you're prettier You've done um, more? Yeah, I don't know. A little know. more successful, just a tad bit. <laughs> well, it depends on what you, which field you're talking about. But, yeah, maybe in the basketball area, the, the actual being a, being a pro basketball player, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. So, I guess, first of all, just update us on, on what's new with you. What's going on in your life? Uh, what haven't I been up to? Uh, I can't go back too far because it'll be a couple hours of me listing off all the, the stuff I've been up to. It's nothing really uh, pressing or important. It's just I don't sit still. But uh, lately, uh, just uh, I'm actually going to do some stand-up comedy this weekend at Crackers downtown. Uh, my friend Chris Porter is, a, is an amazing comedian. He's traveled uh, the, the country and the world, uh, and he's in town this weekend. And uh, I, I've been threatening him for a few years now that I was going to open for him at some point. And he was like, hey, man, I'm coming to Indiana. Do you want to open for me?" I was like, yes. So I'm doing five <laughs> minutes-ish uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Uh, so... That's going to be fun. I'm, I'm a little nervous because it's a real crowd. I've done it for charity before, but uh, this is not a charity audience where the people are like, oh, we know you don't do this for a living, but we're going to give you those courtesy golf clubs. <laughs> oh, that's in the cute, like, Nice. Uh, good job. Good uh, effort. Big dumb guy. He tell jokes. Oh, it's cute. It's for charity. It's for the kids. You know, this one's real. This one is uh, is, is going to be a little bit new challenge for me. So I'm, I'm nervous about this one. I'm always nervous about it because I want to be, uh, I'm a little bit of perfectionist. I like to do well. So uh, I care. So it's a good little rush for me because I can't run. I can't work out anymore. And, and uh, being in front of a live audience is, is definitely a, a nerve wracking and stimulating experience. How does so. that
0: compare to playing? I, I got to
1: believe you're way more confident playing
0: and you just go out and do your thing. Whereas you kind of get the scaries, maybe, yeah. when you go in front of that live audience.
1: Well, it's about practice and preparation uh, and, and experience. You know, in the NBA, people are like, how are you not nervous? You're on national TV. You're playing in front of 20,000 people and this and that. And I'm going, I've worked my butt off my whole life for this. And I worked my butt off this week for this. Yeah. And the, today for this. So uh, before games, I was almost in a trance-like state. People were like, wow, you just don't get nervous for games. And even teammates, you know. And I just, well, I do everything I can possibly do in practice. I mess up. I make mistakes. I work harder, uh, and so I'm ready for games. This is different. I don't have the repetitions. I don't have the 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 comedic um, timing down because I just haven't done it enough. You know, I probably should do more open mic. But um, the one thing I can do is is put words together, uh, and uh, so I, if anything, it's going to be. Uh, a non stop stream of verbs coming out of my mouth. I mean, there, there'll there be some <laughs> yes, words. Yes. It, it just may not be that funny. Uh, but, uh, I've been lucky in the past, as I said, it's been charity audiences that give me the golf class, but some people have come up to me, not, not even just my friends that have said, Hey man, I didn't think you were going to be funny. you were actually really funny tonight. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes with a, with a quote unquote real audience. Yeah. Uh, that's there to see a professional comedian and it's not there for uh, you know, charity, and, and to see their friends go up there and bomb on stage, which has been the case.
0: And so right. much of it is really storytelling. That's and me for sure. I, yeah, and how many stories, <laughs> thousands, do you accumulate just on the NBA trails? I would think.
1: And and since just uh, just retirement and and all the 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 stuff that I've done, I've, life uh, happens. Yeah, I've been in a few small budget films. I've been uh, uh, in horror movies that that I was the main character, killing people. Um uh, and and that's a learning experience and and something that that keeps me in front of the camera or whatever, uh, that was fun. I made my own movie called gonna, The Prophet. Yeah. Uh, so that kept me busy for a couple of years, and then the Survivor thing happened as well. Uh, I've been very lucky. Uh, things pop up for me, and and I work hard, and and that's what uh, it's a quote that my college coach Roy Williams, he's the head coach at North Carolina now, but he was my coach at Kansas, and. Uh, one of his favorite quotes was, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And, and I think that's just something that's happened in my life post-career, definitely leading up to the NBA and all that, of course. Uh, but post-career, post, uh, post-NBA, post um, I, I haven't sat still. I keep I keep active. I keep pushing. I keep taking advantage of opportunities and working for more opportunities. And, and things just keep happening for me. So that's why I just don't sit still very well um, because I'm always looking for that next uh, opportunity and, and working for it. And uh, so – you know, I coach my son's basketball team. We had a good practice last night. I'm kind of excited because we've had, That's This uh, cool. it's about my, I think my fifth year of coaching and I help coach a, with a, with a local other father here. He's the head coach. I give all the pressure to him, John Sherrill. <laughs> and how old is he? Uh, the coach is players. <laughs> 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 I don't want to give John's player. age yeah. out. He's, he's a little sensitive about his age. He's, he's got dad bod and you know, <laughs> uh, but, yes. uh, no, I do too. Don't, don't, I'm, I'm Making fun of him, but he's the one that actually got me started in the comedy thing because he he put this charity event together with uh, Jeff Bodart and some other uh, professional comedians, and he opened it up, and then I was second, uh, and that's really what started me just trying to do some stand up. I thought I, it was a tremendous rush, and I enjoyed it. But now the boys are uh, they're fifth grade. They don't do it by age, which is kind of weird, as I found out in here in the Carmel Dads Club, because uh, if anybody that has kids knows, months matter let alone years, uh, when it comes to uh, ability and, and one kid looking like an amazing all-star. And then you see, well, yeah, he's in fifth grade, but he's 12 and your son's nine or 10, uh, which, well, let's see, my son's 10 and he's on the younger end of the spectrum, uh, for his grade. Uh, but you know, it's been every year where there's kids that are, you know, a year or two older, uh, or younger. And it's, it's a fun challenge to work with those kids. Cause there's it's not even ability at that, say, at that age per se or, or gift. Principles it's a natural, and fundamentals, isn't it? It's, it's principles and fun- fundamentals, but also when you're trying to sit here and, and say, well, this kid can be really good for us, then you realize he's a year older than the other kids on the team or even some of the other kids on the team, not even all of them. It, it becomes something where you just go, okay, well, I can talk to this kid differently because they're just, you know, they could be mm-hmm. um, in the next grade. Or they could be a grade below. So you have to talk to this one a little differently. So uh, doing it by grade is a little different than I did when we were growing up. We did it by age and birth certificates and all that. And, uh, of course, I had to take my birth certificate everywhere I went because nobody believed me. I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> they're always questioning. I was When I was 12, I was 6 feet tall and trying to go play in those you know the 12-year-old leagues. And they're like... Um, no, you're not 12. Here's my birth certificate. Look at my mom. She's 6'2". There's my dad, 6'10". You know, like, oh, okay. Now we get it. Look at my parents. I'm not
0: lying. Right now, I, I don't think any of us know how old Von Maker is, for example, <laughs> in the league.
1: Well, did you see that thing recently? They said Manute Bowl might have been 50. In yeah. The like, okay. Kevin Mackey. I used to joke about Vlade Divac. We were teammates, and, I, and I'd say, J- Vlade, when you came over, like, seriously, how old were you when you came over? 45? 50? You know, I would joke with him. And he would joke back. He's like, "Oh, I know. I look old. But, you know, life life's tough over there. You know, I'm 35, but I say I'm 30. It's no problem. No problem." Was his favorite phrase. But let's be realistic. It might be off by a few years, but there's no way Manute Ball was 50 years old when he was playing the NBA. Yeah, genetics are one thing, but th- that's ridiculous to assume that. That's like Wilt Chamberlain saying 20,000. It's it's a ridiculous number. Maybe he was in his late 30s, like Sabonis when he came over. Big Sabonis, I played against Big Sabonis, not not little Sabonis, and and he, we'll get to him in a minute. That yeah, guy's, he's great. I wasn't, I'm not surprised at all. But uh, Big Sabonis, you know, people were saying, oh, he's in his late 40s, coming over here because he had injuries and this and that, and the the Iron Curtain, they wouldn't let him come over, all that. You know, these are rumors that everybody was talking about. Bottom line, he was probably late 30s, maybe early 40s when he was finishing up in the NBA, but not 50. It's a big difference. I can't the the that, testosterone no. just leaves your body. You you can't do it at 50. 42 is a ridiculous number. Vince Carter still playing at 40, and he's not great. He's he's more half man now. The the half uh, what was it? Half man, half uh, highlight film. Whatever his uh, his catchphrase was for the description of how crazy he was as I'm an athlete. I'm stunned though. You still see highlights. You still see spurts of it here oh, and yeah. there. He can get up and dunk. For yeah. instance, like. Yeah. It's amazing oh. that he can still even get up and dunk. I mean, with the knees, the amount of times that he has landed. It's, yeah. it's not the explosiveness, kids. It's not the jumping. It's the landing that kills your knees. It, when, when, you, when you see LeBron James at 270 pounds landing, that's what makes me shocked that he can still do what he does. And he's not even 40. But I, the amount of pounding that LeBron's body has taken at his age and the amount of landing that he's done and his knees are still... Amazing,
0: his in amazing minutes are shape. way up there. I think this year, right now, maybe he's second in the league. He yeah. was first, I
1: think, last year. He's a freak, thirty-eight plus likely. I don't just, get it. Yeah. Tom
0: Brady on the NFL is kind of the same way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but he's not out sprinting anybody. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he's but sure. and he's well protected. But but I am not saying anything about it because his arm still works like crazy. It, it's still Tom Brady is still maybe the best quarterback in the league right now. Still a- a- at forty, and and maybe the oldest. I think he is the oldest. Uh, the starting for sure. So, uh, anyway, back to, uh, what I've been doing a lot, you know, raising four kids. I got one in college and I got one that's a year and a half and, Mm -hmm. and a 15 year old girl and a a 10 year old boy, that one I was talking about coaching. So, uh, I'm, I'm never at a loss for, for, uh, things to do. I, I, I have two comfy couches in my house and they don't get a lot of use. (laughs) I was going to say, was that ever an issue? Like right when
0: you retire those first couple of years, Maybe not for you, but I I wonder about some guys. Is That's all they know. Maybe that's all they have to that point. I think that's changing now. You're seeing a lot of guys, especially the elite stars that have big money, investing in companies, investing in, in various things to feed various interests. Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant. I think they're more the exception. But I always wonder about that. When guys retire, when they hang it up, how do they fill that void, especially for the first two years?
1: Uh, some well, everybody's different. Uh, but I know that uh, per- from personal experience with uh, family members or or close friends that have retired from the NBA uh, or professional sports in general, people I know. Uh, none of my other family members were professional athletes, but it, most of us have a hard time letting go of the game. I wasn't one of those uh, because again, I left it all on the floor, and I and my injury, uh, my career. I wouldn't say it was cut short by injury. I think I could have played more had I taken more time off when I was injured during my career and been 100% before I came back, which I think that's what's happening now with athletes. They're not letting them come back early. They're making sure they're 100% healthy. It's this whole rest phenomenon. Yeah, and
0: Let's sit guys that are healthy, healthy scratches for rest purposes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that that's smart for the longevity of careers. You want to see Tim Duncan play 20 years or you want to see him play 10 or 11 like I did. Uh, and... So I, I think that there was things I could have done earlier in my career. But anyway, I, my career ended when it ended. And uh, I wasn't bitter because I felt like I left it all on the floor. Injured, healthy, whatever, and my career was cut short by injury. But I wasn't bitter about it because I felt like, hey, I injured my body because that's the way I played. And, and I played hard, and I came back too early, and I didn't sit out long enough, and all that kind of stuff. Because I was just starving to always play and, and be, be a tough guy. And... Could I have squeezed out a few more years? Probably, had I been a little bit more intelligent. But it probably would have changed the way I play, and maybe I wouldn't have been good enough because my my niche wasn't athletic ability. It wasn't uh, basketball knowledge. It wasn't my three-point shot. It was all those little things combined. It was all the little things and mostly my hard work and effort and determination that kept me in the league longer than probably most people thought I would be. So for me, it was easy to walk away from the game or limp away from the game, as it was. And um, But other people I've seen... Yeah, they turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They turn to uh, nefarious activities. Gambling is a big one. A lot of dudes gamble because they, they get got that, that fix money. on the plane too, right? Yeah, they, on the plane Booray, it starts. I think it's, the game. Or, or at least the Pacers it, always get into. In between, it. we we played in between a lot. Uh, but there's some guys play poker still. I think I don't know. I've been on NBA plane in a while, but um, you know, you, so it gets started there because gambling is a rush, and and athletes are terrible gamblers, and I'll tell you why. We think that we can outwork the cards and make the luck change because that's what we do in our re- in our workplace. We think, "Ah, this guy beat me. I'm just going to outwork him and I'll beat him next time." Cards don't work that way. You can bluff all you want. And you can put all that out there, but eventually your bluff's going to get called, and working hard has nothing to do with it. They flip over two aces and you got two jacks, pff, you lose. You know, so Uh, I think that's why athletes are terrible gamblers and Vegas knows it and they love that. And that's why you always, I still get invitations. I don't even gamble much anymore. Um, I I can't remember the last time I put any money down in Vegas. It's been years. And so, um, it's, but they, but Vegas is always offering. They they still send me things. Oh, you know you can come stay here for four nights for free. Come on out. Okay. Those <laughs> kind of like... deals because
0: they they're going on the assumption that you'll yeah clearly outspend whatever it's
1: costing them. Yep, and that's that's the thing is when you're getting free stuff from Vegas, that means you gamble too much. When when casinos are offering you free stuff, that's an indication that you're spending more money than than it's worth. As you just said, Scott, more eloquently than I did, <laughs> um, that the, there's a reason they're offering it. There's right? a reason those because casinos are there, you. and the reason that those casinos are there is because people think, "Oh, I'm going to go out there and knock them down." You go out there, spend thinking you're going to spend a hundred dollars, you spend a thousand. Uh, or if you're an athlete, you think you're going to spend ten thousand, you spend a hundred, and, and you walk out of there. Oh, I got a free room at least. free room cost them a thousand dollars you spent a hundred so a hundred thousand smart call bud yeah so and and i've been i've i've played with high rollers too i mean i'm going off on tangents oh i love it no (laughs) this is great but stuff you don't get anywhere else i've played with high rollers out there i played with reggie jackson one time and this guy that invented some video game that he he was at the time i was playing craps with him and i met him through the maloofs the former owners of the sacramento kings this was a long time ago and we were out there uh, I was there Just happened to be in town For a boys trip I used to take boys trips Out to Vegas Every summer And uh, we'd get a tattoo And gamble And sit in our room And do dude stuff Is it the same tattoo No. Okay. I was just checking. (laughs) We'd we'd get our own. It was mostly me. Some of my friends were like, I'm not getting a tattoo, dude. I'm like, well, you can not come then. Okay, I'll get a dumb tattoo and then get it removed. But uh, anyway, we were out there one summer and just happened to run into the Maloofs, and they were like, hey, do you want to come gamble with us? I was like, well, we don't gamble that much. He's like, oh, no, we're pooling the money together. So we pulled this money together. Reggie Jackson was there, this video game guy and the Maloofs and a couple other people that were either in it Eh, or whatever, but we all threw whatever we wanted to put in, we wrote down how much we put in i've never seen so much cash on a table in my life, and I've seen a lot of cash on a table before. I don't even remember what the total was. There was so much cash i mean Manila envelopes came open, and they dumped wads of of wrapped hundred dollar bills. It, it was crazy it took them 35 40 minutes to count the money out to know how much was in there and then to write down who how much each of us had as a as a share
0: the big so they were just going
1: max odds on this crap tape okay and every throw was max odds so it went around and it got to me and i had at the time i was wearing these um remember the kurt Rambus style those big black frame glasses i used to wear those with a blue tint in them okay and it was just my style at the time and i rolled and i hit two points And then I crapped out. So basically we lost money. And one of the guys across the table was like, maybe if you take those glasses off, you can see what you're doing out here. (laughs) And I was just like... Oh serious business. man, I probably lost that dude like ninety grand. You know, like I don't know how much, but it was a lot. And I was just like, "Well, oh, that's it for me, guys. I'll see you guys later." On that note, uh, see y'all. Cash me outside, or however the kids say it now. <laughs> 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 this was before that phrase was invented, but um, yeah. But it was it was it was a fun experience. But you know, got a big free catered meal back in his mansion at whatever property we were at. I don't remember if it was MGM or Bellagio because we floated around a little bit. Trying to get uh, trying to get the the mojo to change, mm-hmm. but uh, it was one of those weird Mr. Go- Magoo Wilds rides uh, through Vegas, and you don't think that happens. But hanging with a high roller is different. And all of a sudden, he was just like, "Hey, you guys want to come back to my mansion?" And it was on the hotel property, and it was a four bedroom mansion in whatever it was. I think it was MGM or Bellagio that you don't know exists, but they all have them. And they all of a sudden they just rolled out all these carts by his private pool. He had his own pool wow. right there on the property. And these carts opened up and it was filet and lobster and all, all you could eat. And it was just whatever time of night, 11 o'clock at night. And it was just all catered in his mansion. His wife and kids were there. and That's a whole different world. I can, I'm having a difficult time. Even imagining. I'm the, over here. When I go to
0: Vegas, I kid you not Scott, I'll roll out about a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Then I'll make a hundred, put my hundred away. And I'm playing on them. Oh, yeah. So usually I finish up, and I'm up 250, 300, and I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. That's I, I, my cheap way of having a good time. I would, I, I don't know how i deal with myself if I went in there and, let's say, lost a 1,000. No, I mean, that's a very tiny number. It's all scale. No, it's, it's all, all relative. Scale, though. Yeah, yeah
1: it, it is relative. So it, it, that's a smart way to do it. That's how I do it, too. I take a certain amount of money, and if I get that money back, I put it in my pocket, and then I really start gambling because I know it's their money yep. at that point. And sometimes I do very, very well. And sometimes I just... You know, come home with the loss of, of whatever I planned on losing. Uh, and sometimes, uh, most times, I'd come out a hit. You talked about the Kings. We
0: are here in Indianapolis and, and around the Pacers. You've also recently been back to Boston, I remember, seeing mm-hmm. on your Twitter feed. Do you consider yourself more part of one team like if as guys go into the hall of fame there's always the question you know is he retiring a Colt? is he retiring a pacers you know whatever it is do you consider yourself more a part of any one of those franchises
1: well i could tell you one thing i don't consider myself is in, in any discussion with the hall of fame i know that for a fact and if somebody starts talking about that they need to get a drug test <laughs> but um no uh, it, uh there's I feel less of a connection with the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, only because it was one year and it didn't end well, and it was my fault. Uh, I didn't end it well with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, It's another Vegas story. It's the only reason I played uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Go on. (laughs) Um, I was out there playing um, craps with my buddies, different trip, Uh, and this was actually, uh, it was when I was playing for the Pacers I had just finished, and uh, a few of the players from the team the Pacers were over at Bird's house and we were kind of talking and Jeff Foster was like trying to goofy be my agent and was like Bird what if <laughs> some team offered Scott two years and some um, dollar amount and Bird goes I think you should take it basically he was saying he's not going to be a Pacer anymore because yeah. <laughs> my contract was up and, you know, good call Jeff yeah. at- thanks Jeff thanks I appreciate that And so, uh, anyway, I was, uh, I was out in Vegas and and I'm playing craps and my buddy's table wasn't going well. So I went over by myself and there was this private table. Nobody was at it. And the the guys were like, Hey, you can play. No worries. He's not coming. Uh, Like we literally just got word. We'll open it up for you. So I'm sitting there gambling alone on a craps table, which is pr- pretty much the saddest thing. It's like being at a bar, there's nobody at, and you're drinking alone. That's pretty much what it is when you're playing craps alone. It's like, oh, maybe I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, the, the best are when that table is filled. Yes. And, and when one guy wins, you all win. And that's my that's why it's my go-to game. It is. It's it's the most exciting game, and it's not as intimidating as you really think it is. You just need to go in there and watch and then just start playing. And, and anybody will tell you... Anybody at the table will tell you a couple tips because it's a fan, It's a it's really a group effort, and when one person wins, everybody wins. As long as you don't play the don't pass. Don't scream. Don't <laughs> screw it up. Yeah, just don't say that one one word seven when uh, when <laughs> when there's a point going. Just don't say that. Uh, but anyway, there's there's a lot of superstition that goes on with the game. But anyway, this little guy comes up to me and starts talking to me and chat me. I was, mind if I play with you? I was like, no, guys, playing alone is lame, just like I just said. And uh, we're talking. He's asking me NBA questions. I'm like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And uh, we finish up. We both won thousand know, I'm not sure exactly what, what we did, but we won. And uh, he goes, well, it was really nice talking with you, Scott. And at that point, I knew he knew who I was, but I wasn't sure. And he hands me his card. It's Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. No kidding. And a few months later, I'm playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I made a good impression. And, and that was a lesson that I had learned earlier in my life, for sure. But it was reinforced. You never know who you're talking to. And always make a good first impression. Be nice to people, just because. And a lot of former athletes, as we talked about earlier, Scott, you know, when you retire from the NBA and and any sport, you're a professional athlete, you get treated a certain way while you're in that limelight and that spotlight. People put up with your bad behavior, and I'm guilty just of that because, myself. Yeah. yeah, just because you're a professional athlete and people are like, oh, well, you know, that guy. <laughs> well, when you're not in the, on the court, on the field, uh, in the playground or whatever, uh, making all that money and on TV all the time, and you act that same way, you're going to learn really quickly. That it doesn't float in the real world. That it, that you need to modify your behavior. And some people can't. Some guys just can't change. They're like, no, I'm me. I'm going to be me. And they find themselves out of the sport completely. Because they're unhirable. And I don't know specifically. But I do know several players. And the, I'm talking Hall of Famers. Like Kareem took a long time before he was back being able to be hired in the NBA. And part of it was... People found him difficult to be around. People found him difficult to deal with, and so it took a long time for guys like that, the you know, Hall of Famers. Let alone a guy like me that's trying to get a commentating job, uh, where there there's thirty of them, <laughs> and you know as as well yeah. as I do how difficult it is to break in. And I'm an 11 year veteran of the NBA. I'm an NBA World Champion uh, with the Boston Celtics. Uh, uh, so anyway, went off on another tangent uh no, but, I'm good. but back to uh, back to why there are some teams I, I identify more with than others. Uh, Detroit was my first one. I always feel a, a debt of gratitude cuz they drafted me in the first round, 19th pick. Played the longest in Sacramento. And so that's that's probably first place as far as places I feel welcome and and, and home. Uh but here, obviously I live here. Uh, and so this is one of those franchises that's, it's very much like a home, even though I've, I've worked for him in different capacities and mostly community relations. Now I work with Darnell, Dr. Dunk, yeah. uh, Hillman, and, uh, we, uh, he's gotten me to do a lot of fantasy camps and, and, uh, coaching camps for, for stuff. I've got some more coming up here, uh, the read to achieve events and, and I love all that stuff, but, uh, Boston, it's the championship, and and uh, that uh, that's what really ties me to that place. When we were out there, they they hooked me up with tickets right behind the bench, and, and nice. um, they they treated me like I was somebody. And Paul Pierce is in the building, so it's not like they're going to put me on the jumbotron. They put Paul Pierce on the jumbotron, and and, and rightfully so. I'm not jealous. I love Paul. Yeah, uh, he deserves everything that the pay, the the Boston Celtics franchise gives him, and including a banner someday with his name on, and number on it. Um, but uh, I feel. It seems like a lot of Sacramento, just from afar. Yeah, because
0: you go out there a lot. I feel like they've rolled out the the red carpet a lot for you as yeah. well.
1: Yeah, they always do. Sacramento is is one that's uh, that's always uh, uh, been there, and and every time I go there, they, the fans are crazy. They 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 still treat me like I'm somebody out there. Did you
0: premiere your movie out there? I did. Is that that
1: was, yeah. I, play, I played it here first. I played it in Kansas first and then here. And then uh, of the NBA cities, this was the first one. And then, and then Sacramento and, you know, and it's, uh it's hard to get people to go to a movie theater. Ask the Marvel franchise. <laughs> they, they, I went for the first time with IUPU I'm a basketball
0: team. I call their games mm-hmm. because they bought the tickets. We're on the road in Orlando. It's over Thanksgiving. It's the first
1: movie I probably went to since the last time we went as a team. Yeah. I just don't go. Well, well, nobody does it's it's hard and there's so many movies and there's so many choices and all of a sudden it's out of the theater in a month anyway so it's like oh i'm gonna go take my wife and kids or my whole family to a movie uh it's fifty to bucks tune hundred you know bucks for me it's a hundred how much food are you buying Scott? well i got i got spoiled kids we go to the flicks where they serve a whole meal and and oh, okay. you know either my wife or i'll have an adult beverage so or two or yeah three. that, that yeah. throws it out that makes the the bill a little bit more expensive but uh you could be there on the opening weekend where when we were growing up or when I was growing up, I'm not going to age you. Uh, but when I was growing up, you went to the movies, it was packed for a couple of weeks when a movie came out and, and you couldn't get a, a ticket. So when you finally went it was an experience and, uh, there wasn't the ability to just download it to your phone and watch it on your phone a month after it's released in the movie theater. So it's hard to get people to go to movie theaters, and my the- my movies were the same. I mean, we didn't have very many people show up at any of the three. I expected Lawrence to do well, Kansas, where I made them film, and where I, it was basically um, it was made about some of the experience I had there. Uh, I expected a big turnout. Not so much. Here, I had the best turnout. In Indiana, which surprised me. I wasn't even going to show it here because I just didn't expect it to get much of a... a,
0: You think it's because it's home right now?
1: So you have um, a lot of present
0: friends right now?
1: Yeah, I think that. um, But it's... uh, I don't know. It surprised me because I I didn't... until and still people come up to me and they're like wow what are you doing back in town seriously (laughs) i'm like i've been here since 2003 i mean on and off i've always had a residence here it's not always been my permanent residence but i've always had a place here um but it's really funny and and i i I know things didn't end well for me personally with the pacers franchise because of the brawl and, and i'm not blaming it on that but um you know i was injured the whole 3 time, 3 years I was here I was rehabbing my back I broke my back in Sacramento and I came back and played a great game against the Pacers here uh, as a Sacramento King and that summer they were like hey we got to have this guy he kicked the crap out of our team and they traded for me but I wasn't healed yet I wasn't all the way I just happened to have a great game against the Pacers and my back was just not good and so I was rehabbing and the fans were frustrated with me they traded Brad Miller for Scott Pollard you know a lot of fans just figured it was straight up it wasn't. It was a three-team deal, and it wasn't. Brad Miller got double what I got, and he was worth double what I got. Uh, but, you know, a side note, the Kings didn't really go far in the playoffs after they <laughs> traded me away. I like it.
0: So, on, on your back, what would you have done differently? Uh, you you,
1: for those three years you were beat up. What would you have done? I don't know what I could have done differently. It was, uh, it was the first injury any of the doctors had ever seen in an NBA player. Uh, it's typical among female marathon runners. I, I had a stress fracture in my sacrum. It's a very strong bone right in the middle of your pelvis. And I got three different uh, prognoses from three different doctors in three different states. The Lakers doctor thought it was a tumor. And I saw it oh, myself. No. I was like, that's not a tumor. It's a crack. I can <laughs> see the crack. You're a Lakers doctor. I'm not going there. <laughs> so, uh, but, but second opinions back, are key, though. Yeah. And the, for the, you guys. The Sacramento doctors were like, we don't know, but we know that you need to stop running. And you're going to stop playing basketball for four months. And then we're going to keep MRIing it and seeing how it progresses as it goes. So I was swimming a lot. I was doing a lot of non-weight-bearing. Uh, a doctor in Kansas uh, said that I was going to require career-ending surgery. They were going to have to remove my pelvis and put a screw in my sacrum because it will never heal. And So – I went with the Sacramento doctors on that one. Between tumor and career-ending surgery, yeah. I was like, well, I'll just hang out. Let's give it a chance. And it never was the same. I, you know, And again, I'm not blaming my career being short because of one injury, uh, but it was never the same. Because after that, my left leg started going a little numb. Uh, I walked differently, so my I sprained my ankles more. Uh, so it was a breakdown. When when one part, major part of your body is broken, if you got a bad left ankle or a bad right ankle, it throws off the way you walk and we talk. We see that and with jump.
0: guys all the time. They yeah. overcompensate on somewhere else. Yeah, maybe it, your
1: hip. It transfers whatever. up, and all of a sudden you've got yeah. a bad hip, or your back's going out, or, or, or your knees going out, and it has nothing to do with your back, but it was your ankle. You're walking funny. Your foot is is hurting, so you walk weird or run weird, whatever. So I was never the same after that. And uh, you know, again, work ethic. Perseverance, being a good locker room guy, those are the things that kept me in the league for five more years after I broke my back. So um it was it, it was hard for me to, as a pacer to swallow the fans booing me and and all that kind of stuff because it happened a lot. I, I got a lot of pressure from fans, people telling me I suck and all that stuff. And I was like, I'm used to this on the road, but not at home. And I I understood where they were coming from because they were sitting there like, we let it go of an all star for you, you bum. and I was like, well, we Is that your Indian accent? Yeah, that was my Hoosier accent. <laughs>
0: But, but, uh, what do people in Kansas, totally different? What do people in Kansas think of the movie Hoosiers? Is it beloved, especially with basketball being part of their DNA as much as it is here in Indiana? I feel like.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, almost. It's almost as much part of Kansas basketball DNA because, you know, we invented the game. Yes. But, uh, you know, the Hoosiers think that. But, uh, it actually, the first game was in Kansas. The inventor of the game was our first head coach. They invented it, Indiana perfected it. Uh, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what you think. Maybe that's what Hoosiers (laughs) think. (laughs) But um, as I recall, Indiana lost last night, and the Jayhawks won two nights ago. And we're playing Syracuse on Saturday. That's going to be a good game, the Jayhawks. But anyway, Kansas people love the Hoosiers because we love it when our kids do well. We're very proud grandparents and great grandparents of the game. We love it that Kentucky does well as long as we're not playing against them, because Adolph Rupp coached at Kansas first, uh, the Kentucky legendary coach. Uh, so the the co- we 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 like to take pride in, in how all the the other programs do, and that's how we look at it. We we love Hoosiers. We love the movie. We love that basketball has become a national and a worldwide phenomena. Uh, but. You know, the truth. If, if you're, if you think I'm being serious here, kids, there's a lot of sarcasm in there because the inventor of the game's from Canada, and the reason Dr. Naismith invented the game was just to keep the boys in shape. This is a quote: "To keep the boys in shape between fat, football and basketball season, or football and baseball season." And it had to be an indoor sport because it was too cold in Canada where he was inventing the game. So uh, if you want to be realistic about basketball, it actually was a Canadian invention, and then he just became the first basketball coach at the University of Kansas in 1898. So we like to say that the inventor of the game invented the game in Kansas, but he didn't. He invented it in actually Springfield, Massachusetts, but he was a Canadian.
0: One thing I enjoy about the Jayhawks, at least the alums I follow, yourself, Kevin Pritchard, now the president of the Pacers, very tied in, it seems. It seems like you're always maybe tweeting about the big game, or or you're attending a game. Is that is that true for alums of Kansas basketball? Either going back or following it closely um, through every season.
1: I would say a lot of us. Yeah, it's it's a small family. You know, i I'd, we'd go into other countries with uh, with other teammates of mine, and you know, people would be like, "Rock, Jock." and nobody was like hey go bruins to the guy that played at ucla or you know hey who's your you know like to the to the guy that went to indiana and so it's it's uh it's very special and you know we we haven't we don't have like 10 national championships like ucla we don't have 5 like the indiana does we have 3 and we count 5 but two of them are not recognized by whatever uh governing body but you know so we have 3 in the modern era uh two in the older area, but era but um, it is a, it is a special family. The Jayhawk family is, is a special one and, and it is, it's no matter where I go in the, in the world, uh, people go, Hey, Jayhawks rock chalk, you know, and, and it's cool. And that happens, uh, to, in my experience, it happens a lot more than it does to people that went to Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina, any of the other, uh, powerhouses. It just seems like a, a unique family. And, you know, it, it, you alluded to it early in, in the podcast, Scott, that, um, you know why do some of the Pacer players and Colts players end up here, back in Indiana, or staying in Indiana after their careers over? And um, you know, I jokingly say because it's it's a uh, low tax threshold and and it's a cheap place to live, and it's true. Those are true. That's things. part of it. Uh, but it, it is also it's a it's a great place to raise a family. And I've heard comedians joke about it because you know I've listened to a lot of comedians, but I've heard comedians joke about when you when you say that hey, it's a great place to raise family. Basically, what you're saying is um, uh, you're racist because <laughs> you don't have to deal with culture. You're you're in a homogenized community, usually white. Uh, so uh, I think that's funny, uh, but it there there is some truth to it. There's truth to to a lot of biting comic uh, remarks, and there and there's uh, that's why I enjoy comedy. It's one of the last bastions. There's of, always some truth to yeah, to the story typically. to any hurtful comment and into any joke as well. There's truth. So when you go see a comedian. You're hearing the truth on some level, uh, but it's a it's a comedic spin on the truth. So when, uh, that's one of the last bastions of free speech, really, is is comedians because a, as you read the newspaper or watch the news, you can't trust it. <laughs> you can't trust any of it. So uh, you have to take in a lot of different mediums to try to come at what your decision of 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 what the truth is. And that's what I implore youths to do nowadays. Is uh, I. I tell my kids, question everything. Don't don't just watch one channel or read one uh, thing and think that that's what the truth is. You have to look at that one and this one and that one and talk to people that dif- differ with you. Uh, you can't talk to people that agree with you and, and have your own echo chamber and think that you're an educated person. You got to talk to people that disagree with you on everything. And that's the way you can learn something. And I feel that way with news media. But when you go watch a comedian, you're hearing the truth on some level from their perspective. And you may not agree with it, but it still gives you the ability to be offended and laugh about it and we can all go home and, and have had an, an enjoyable time laughing at our differences, being, being able to poke fun at our differences. And, you know, you do this, I do that. Ha 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 ha. And that's the way we should be. I think that our country in general, as I go off on another tangent here, Scott, uh, is, I, I think it's a good thing that you're having your own podcast coming <laughs> yeah. up because you clearly have a lot to say and
0: that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. We'll get into that here a little later on.
1: Yeah. But, uh, no, just to finish up that point, it's, it's, it, I worry that our, our country is losing its sense of humor and our ability to disagree without becoming so offended by everything. And I'm not trying to be one of those old people like, oh, political correctness is losing, is p- killing this country. That's true on some levels, but it's also done some really good things. So you can't just say one thing is all all bad. Everything in America has its good things and bad things. We have a horrible history in our America, but we also have an amazing history in our, in our country. So we have to celebrate the good and, and not ignore the bad. We have to remember the bad. Uh, so that we don't do it again. But uh, I, I would hope that as the, the kids are growing up nowadays, uh, they become less offended than we are currently right now as as a country because it seems to me that we're pointing uh, the rudder in, in a little bit of a wrong direction and losing our sense of humor about things and, and our ability to poke fun at each other and debate with each other uh, and have a good sense of humor about it. Because if we lose that, then, well... How are we going to get along with somebody that dis- disagrees with us? And there's always going to be people that disagree. Are we just going to start pressing buttons? Generally, it
0: feels like <laughs> you find someone that feels completely opposite and you want
1: nothing to do with them. Yeah. Or not- instead,
0: that could be the most enlightening conversation you have that day.
1: Should be. It should be. You should absolutely open your mind to somebody that completely disagrees with you, as long as you guys can have you people. I don't mean to, you guys. <laughs> you can't say guys anymore. I'm talking about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> as as long as as both people are adults and having a civilized conversation, you know, you, it, when that's the the downside of social media is people immediately it seems like a lot. Uh, resort to insults because I disagree with you. Well, clearly you're an idiot and you voted for this person, so how could I even have a conversation with you? And everything becomes politicized so quickly when it really doesn't affect your personal life. I don't talk about politics much uh, because I've learned in my uh, 42 years on this planet that you can shout from the tallest pulpit and have a billion followers on on whatever social media – and you're not going to change anybody's mind in 120 characters or whatever it is now. Now it's 280. Style. 280. Yeah, you're not going to change anybody's mind. But it's still not mind. enough to, to get a thorough point out. Right. You're not going to have a, a viable dialogue mm-hmm. with anyone in that short amount of time. So people, you know, sometimes poke me like, what do you believe? Like, not on the Not and on the, the Twitter, Twitter
0: courage is the worst. Yeah. Where people, because they're behind a screen, because they're maybe behind an egg or an avatar that's not them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They Dude. feel that they can say whatever they want.
1: Yep. The keyboard and warriors, and that's that's the problem with social media. There's a lot of good things about it as as well, but that's the problem with it is people can anonymously act out these horrible uh, fantasies, I guess you if you will. But
0: and now you got the problems with bots. Yeah, I mean, you say something about a specific subject, and you might get thirty tweets that are the same or are pushing you towards one agenda or the other.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of fascinating, in, yeah. in one respect, yeah, it is absolutely fascinating, and it's something that people need to pay attention to. People need to understand that that why? happens. Yeah, yeah, like why? Why all of a sudden am I getting all these eggs following me? And then all of a sudden it's a picture of some celebrity that's clearly not there. And you look at whoever. their
0: location, and it's very general. It's maybe yeah. just Indiana mm-hmm. or Michigan. It's nothing specific. No the town, no city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how many real conversations do you think you guys had when you were in the league, the locker room, the plane? Did that happen very often? Where all you're... the time? Okay,
1: and and you disagree with people all the time because we all every team I was on had foreign players from other countries. And now more than ever, it's wild. Yeah, and players from the inner city, players from the country, and and players from wealthy backgrounds, you know, rare, but there were those too. And so when you've got a a group of people that uh, come from different backgrounds and different economic stratosphere uh, and different educational spheres and different spheres of opportunity, you know, some of the guys I played with that were from Eastern Europe or whatever, they're like, man, I... I had bread and water for the first few years of my life. That was all we had. It was ration. Wow. There was nothing, you know. And so, you know, you go out to a nice meal and they're getting a cheeseburger, just cheeseburger, plain, nothing on it because that, that's what they're used to. That's that's the diet they're used to. Staple. That's it. And you learn things like that you know, from people like that. And and you learn from people that uh, speak differently than you and tell jokes differently than you. And, and that's the one thing about sports that used to be a, a – a gathering uh, to me uh, was was uh, we could gather information and share it and become a family and all that and and fans could do the same thing but you come together over sports. Yeah, now it's tearing a lot of people apart. Boy, unfortunately, it is absolutely and it's tearing teams apart. You can see it and I I don't know anything on the inside but from the outside looking in and my my Oakland Raiders. I've been a fan of them since I was a kid and I don't disagree with some of the things that they're doing individually as players, but as I see it happen and then all of a sudden they play the next game and they just look awful, I sit there and go, hmm, are there chemistry issues in the locker room as a result of this player doing that or that player doing this? It makes you think, are we politicizing sports too much? Is it it coming into the locker room too much to the point that maybe all this information maybe should be banned? Maybe some of those uh, early high school and college programs that were like, you're not on social media, period, during the season. Maybe they went wrong, and they can't do that anymore because it's too pervasive, it's too much. Uh, there are
0: still teams that do that. Are there? Well, I believe they, Purdue basketball, be, for example, to bring it back local, I believe Matt Painter up at Purdue does that. And I don't like it at all because personally, I believe that's a lesson. If, if a guy screws up, and you're obviously going to bring in social media experts or whatever, and, and PR people and people in the media discuss how it's used and what we're looking for and how we can use it. I, I don't like it. I see that as just, just like any other class at college. It's a teaching point. It's a lesson learned. And once one guy makes a mistake, surely no one else on the team will.
1: Well, you would hope. You hope. But, but uh, I, I, my concern is that it would become – I think Clemson football, by the way, is another one. And has become, for certain teams and certain people, uh, a distraction. Because they think, well, you know, I'm just going to blast this out here on the social medias and it's my followers. It's my thing. You know, I can do whatever I want. But then all of a sudden you got a teammate that's going, whoa, dude, whoa. What's you this can't, about? Can't, you can't can't put that out there. And then these guys that actually really get along in real life because of this fake life, the, fake, the, the social media, not that it's fake, but it's social media. It's not your actual personal interaction. Maybe there's a beef that's out there that all of a sudden you become like, whoa, I can't can't get along with this guy anymore or this girl anymore because they said that on social media. And I were I wouldn't I worry about that and I wonder about it.
0: And within a locker room they also have to answer for one another. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you see he said that? What's your reaction?
1: Yeah. And there's even I mean, spoofs on on T V with the commercials, you know. They're they're like, Oh uh the one wide receiver is tweeting at the press conference about like, oh, I got better hands than him or whatever and it's joking. But that's that's the extreme nice way of saying what we just were talking about where it's a player that may be just putting their political stance out there like, this is how I feel and if you don't feel that way then something's wrong with you. Well, you got a teammate that does feel the opposite way and you can't be good teammates anymore because of something that one of you put on social media. That's that's an issue and that's a that's a concern. I still worry that we got too much information out there. I don't want to control it because that, that's that's the wrong way to do it too but I, wouldn't, I worry that too much information in the hands of the wrong people is, is not a good thing. And maybe it'd be better if some people were not allowed that access, uh, at least during their season, so they could just be teammates in person uh, and not worry about the, the distractions as much. Team chemistry is a fascinating thing. And
0: for the Pacers, they've come together quickly. Certainly faster than I think any of us imagine with so many new parts. I mean, just six players back from last season. Uh, And then you look around the league and, for instance, the Cavs, everyone's concerned with them. or Right now, that's changed a little bit as they're rolling since uh, LeBron sent out that Arthur meme, which (laughs) NBA Twitter's the best. Uh, The Thunder on the other spectrum, they're really struggling. They lost to the reeling Magic who had dropped nine in a row. They just have not looked good. A lot of that i got to wonder is about chemistry. You're you're bringing in from the Thunder standpoint, two stars uh, across the league. From the Pacers, you bring in a lot of prove-it guys, guys that have a chip on their shoulder, even though I hate that phrase. um, So overused, much like must-win. Yeah. Very few games are actually must-win. That's a whole different point for me. You can't have a must-win in November. Anyway, how do you judge chemistry? How quickly, from your experience, Scott, do teams come together?
1: Some of them instantly, and some of them it takes a half of a half of a season. The Pacers clearly fall into the previous category. They they seemingly instantly fell in sync, um, as you said, a lot of prove it guys. Talent wise, it was a lopsided trade on the outside looking in. But when you look at the 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 benefit that he, that each team has gotten from that trade, you know all the Pacers fans have been saying it. They stole them. They stole Depot. They stole Sabonis. But it's just a better fit for right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want Pacer fans to to come up with this uh, illusion, though, that this is going to equal a p- deep playoff run and, and the start of a of a franchise changing legacy. Because while I'm enjoying watching these te- this team score over 100 points most nights, it's uh, a welcome change. Yeah, they're they're still losing to the likes of the Knicks a couple nights after beating the King, uh, the Cavaliers or the Celtics, you know. So. When you're beating the good teams once in a while, but you're still losing to the cellar dwellers, that's the mark of an immature team. That's the mark of an unstable team, and it's happening early in the season. So what's going to happen when you're playing a team for the second, third, fourth time uh, when they can lock in, they know who you are now, they're not surprised that your role players are playing above what they used to play. They've seen it already, and they lock in. It's the equivalent of when a rookie comes in in the first half of their season, they do great, and all of a sudden everybody starts seeing that rookie for the second, third, and fourth time. They lock in on him, and all of a sudden that rookie's numbers drop down to the basement, and everybody's wondering why. Well, it's familiarity. That's the NBA for you. This long season will play out who the best teams are. Cavs struggling, as you mentioned. Thunder uh, struggling, as you mentioned. Are they going to get their chemistry together? Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be uh, as good as they are on paper? We'll see towards the end of the season is Dwayne Wade going to just wander off <laughs> you know with with what whatever that is uh and I I can totally see what he's going going through because I was like that towards the end of my career I was just wondering am I going to keep playing why I'm hurt all the time this yeah Derrick Rose Derrick Rose I'm yeah. sorry I said Dwayne Wade I was wondering because Dwayne's yeah. been Dwayne, Dwayne's been great Dwayne's lately. doing great I apologize I, 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 I was thinking Derrick Rose so I that, said Dwayne Wade sorry. so that's
0: not odd for you to see a guy like Derrick Rose ponder his future and whether he wants to keep going
1: not at all when you when you are paid to be a professional athlete and be at the top of your physical game and you can't be mm-hmm. because you just keep getting hurt and you just go man have I got a bad body I'm doing everything I can possibly do to fuel this thing to rest this thing and I'm talking about my tempo my body and things keep happening it's like okay maybe I don't belong in here anymore maybe it it is and it can shake your confidence it can make you miserable at home it can make you miserable at work confidence is everything too at that level yeah when you're a professional athlete if you don't have confidence (laughs) bye-bye you you forget about it and then injuries will pile up on top of 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 injuries because you're not playing 100 percent confident you're playing nervous and anybody that'll tell you when you mess around in a pickup game or a practice game or whatever, and you're not playing hard, that's when most guys get hurt, most girls get hurt. It's when you're messing around. When you're playing hard, and that's why a lot of coaches believe in taped practice every day, taped shoot around every day, because you see it. You see when people let off and they and they're kind of messing around. That's when people roll an ankle or or tweak a knee or something. It's like, oh man, if we'd have just been going hard, they would have been focused and, and on their A game, and and none of these injuries would happen. But um, I think most fans see the case of Derrick Rose,
0: and they just see the dollar signs. Yeah. What do you mean you're going to leave an $80 million Adidas contract? Yeah. What do you mean you're going to leave potential NBA earnings? This is a, He's on a, a league minimum right now, but mm-hmm. a team is go- would sign him, Absolutely. no doubt. Yeah. What do you mean you're going to leave that on the table, and I'm over here trying to provide for my family? That's, I think, how they – the average NBA fans evaluates his situation.
1: Exactly, and, and it's hard to, to look at somebody. I, I mean, I look at that money. If I had $80 million on the table towards the end of my career, would I have walked away, even though my body was telling me to, even though my personal life was telling me to walk away and be a better father and a better husband and all that? you know. So uh, I can see that point, but I want to get back to the Pacers because I don't want the Pacers fans to have unreal ex- unrealistic expectations. I think this team is fun to watch. I am enjoying watching this team, and that's all the Hoosier fans have wanted for a long, long time. When you've had a drought like the Pacer fans have had, uh, I liken it to the Kings fans as well. They've had a long, long drought of playoff misses, worse in Sacramento than it is here. Uh, But they're both small market teams, so there's very comparable uh, fan bases uh, where there's not four major sports. It's just two here, and there's one in Sacramento. And and so uh, when you... As a fan, you finally get a team you can get around, and you get all excited. And I hear all the fans are like, "Oh man, what do you think the Pacers are gonna is it. take it?" Like, no, no, they're not. I'm sorry, they they're they're great, and it's fun to watch. And finally, Nate McMillan is able to got he's got a roster that he can put uh the Pacers. It's not just him because you know he has been head coach for long enough to have had been been in, say, "Hey, this is this is my franchise." That's huge though, because a lot of
0: us are evaluating him based on. We are evaluating him based on what he has, and he hadn't had much that would allow him to enable him to play that style that Larry Bird and now Kevin Pritchard
1: wanted. Yeah, and and every every fan and the East uh, doesn't realize it, but they do want to see their team score 100 points a game. It's more fun. When I was with the Pacers, the three years I was here, um, Rick Carlisle was our coach, and we grounded out. That was his motto. We're going to grind it out. We're just going to we're going to out defend them. We're going to score in the low 80s. If we get a hundred, great. But nobody's going to score on the above 85 points for us. That's our goal, and we grinded it out, and we and we hindered a lot of players, myself included, because as weird as that sounds, I was a West Coast guy. I was always running, and so for to to ask this caveman to walk up the court, get a play from the coach, and then go run out of a playbook. I wasn't very good at that. I was always very good at reading and reacting. The West Coast offense, flexible. Hey, if I see an opportunity to go knock somebody down and get my teammate open, I'm going to go do that. And it's okay in a flexible offense. But when you're running an offense and you go do that out of the blue, it throws off the offense because everybody's running a a route, so to speak. So it hindered Jamal Tinsley. It hindered the way Jamison Brewer could have been a more effective player as a pacer. And, And a lot of pacer fans may not even know who that is, but. This was the guy that was 6'4 and was the fastest person with a basketball I'd ever seen in person. I have never seen anybody change into the floor faster than Jameson Brewer with a basketball. And he didn't hardly play because he didn't remember plays. And I was the same way. I hardly played because I didn't remember plays. And you can't ask Jameson Brewer who doesn't remember plays to be a point guard. Obviously, Rick Carlisle is not going to have a lot of faith in that guy. Jamal Tinsley was a creator. He's a turnover guy, but he also would give you 10, 12 Take assists a game. you got to deal with five, assi- five turnovers or six turnovers if you're going to deal with 7 uh, to 12 or 13 assists every game, which Jamal was very capable of, but he didn't let him do that. Uh, Yassikeviches. Uh, yeah, Yassikeviches loved him. He just did Bird not seem like him. a
0: good fit here
1: didn't fit for the same reason. Yeah. He's a guy that was not looking over the bench. He was your coach on the floor. He's not going to walk it up and look over at Rick Carlisle and get a play. He would cuss him out in practice. I can't do that. I don't play that way. I've got to give me the ball and let me go. And that's how he played. That's how Jamal would have played. But it, it, so it's not Rick Carlisle's fault. He just didn't trust his point guards, and rightfully so in some cases. Jamal was a turnover guy. If you let him go, sometimes he'd, he could turn the ball out over and lose a game for you but we didn't have the talent as backup uh, players to withstand when our offense wasn't going with the starting five. You know, if, if Jermaine wasn't hitting and scoring 40 points, we had a hard time making up that point difference. Anyway, bring it to current days. Uh, th- this team is exciting to watch. They're so much fun. They play team basketball. They're diving on the floor to a man, they, and they legitimately look like they get along on and off the court which is one of the greatest things about the Kings teams I played for. Everybody saw that, fans saw that, and they loved coming to games. Now, the attendance, I heard, is still down at the Pacers games, but, um, you know, it might pick up if this if this continues. The question now is, moving forward as a franchise, are they going to be able to get a superstar to come in that's going to mix well with this to bring the talent level up? Because the talent's pretty good. They're in sixth place right now. But, again, I don't know that that's a realistic expectation towards the April because things tend to balance out. Talent tends to 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 rise to the top, even if they're not as don't don't have as much chemistry, and so I don't want to sound like a doomsday guy, but I, I wonder if the Pacers friend this team will be able to stay in six or even in the playoff hunt as the season winds down, uh, because their their chemistry is great and chemistry can get things done uh, above their talent level, but then the playoffs hit and talent washes out you have to have three all-stars anymore to really have a chance at a title so and and right now they don't have one I just would hate for the Pacers fans to to get all excited and, and say man we're we're in sixth place we could maybe get up to three I mean look at this team they're terrible we could we could get past them enjoy what's going on go to the go to the games enjoy the games watch this team playing together take notes on it and if you're a coach on a lesser level like I do make the kids watch them and see what they're doing and say, hey, see that? They're not the most talented team in the NBA, but they're beating some of the most talented teams in the NBA because they're playing why. together. Yeah. Because of this, because of that. They're diving on the floor. They're helping each other up. That that can make up for a few wins. It just doesn't make up for 60 wins. Do you think with the way the game has evolved
0: today, there would be a place in the league for you right now? That's the big thing with big men. And then to bring it back local, I think about yourself. I think about Roy Hibbert, and I just don't know. It's a challenge. I know the guys that work hard, that'll put that sweat equity into it and can be great locker room guys on top of what they do on the court. I think there would be s- space for some guys, but there's not a ton of big – I mean, we've seen them remove the center position from the All-Star game. Yeah.
1: Which is wild. Well, um, I look at a guy like Steven Adams uh, that that is very much a, b- a big part of a, of a very good franchise right now. Uh, and despite the uh, physical resemblance, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I've been accused of being his father. I've never been in New Zealand, and uh, I don't recall any uh, New Zealand uh, ladies. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know, he's, I, know, I know he's not my son. But uh, uh, I look at him, and, and there's a similar sil- skill set besides the physical resemblance. There's a, there's a similar skill set. He's not shooting threes with, with any regularity. Um, but uh, I, without tooting my own horn... I was a better offensive player than I ever demonstrated in the NBA, and I say that partially in jest, but also the truth is Rick Adelman out in California uh, was always telling me, shoot the ball more. You, you make every shot in practice, why don't you shoot the ball more? I'm like, well, because I can go knock down Peja Stokovich, a defender, and let him shoot a three, uh, or I can go knock down Mike Bibby's guy and let him shoot a three, or go and set a screen for Chris Weber and let him go dunk it with an alley-oop from one of my other teammates. Uh, you know, I've got all these great shooters on the team. I feel like I'm taking shots away from them when I can just go do what I do best, which is go get the offensive rebound if they miss or go knock their guy down and get them open. And if my guy goes to them, then I'm wide open for a dunk, which I know I can make. That's very
0: deep thinking, though, playing the odds. And, well, he
1: shoots better than I, so let's set him up for more opportunities and that's fitting in as as and knowing your strengths so that's what i'm saying is i think that with the the mentality i had yes i could still play in this league even though i don't shoot threes and and i probably could have developed a three-point shot if it was the thing to do back then when i played and it just wasn't yeah i i I think with my basketball mentality Um, you know, I had a pretty high basketball IQ and and that means I knew my limitations, but I also knew I could do other things that, that I didn't necessarily demonstrate in NBA games because in the off season, and I know this for a fact, because we'd go play off, uh, you know, in the summer, whether it was in Kansas or wherever I was, uh, working out and I'm holding court and I'm dribbling up the court and I'm shooting shots and people are like, damn, I didn't know you could do that. Well, no shit. I'm in the NBA. There's 450 of us in the world every year in and out. You know how good you have to be to be the worst guy in the NBA? Pretty freaking good. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that's the thing is people don't realize is even the guy that you think isn't that skilled can still do everything on the basketball court. It's just that some guys choose to do what they do best on a basketball court. And for guys like Steven Adams, he probably can shoot more than he than he can, that he shows, I mean. Uh, but, you know, then there's guys like Prozingis that can just do everything really, really well, better than – every other seven-two guy in the world, <laughs> and and it's showing, and he's not even as good as he's going to be yet. So the, the, there's rightfully uh, the nickname for him is the Unicorn, but uh, I do think I would have adapted and maybe shot the ball more if if the game was the way it is now, uh, back when I played or if I played in today's mm-hmm. game. I'd probably shoot more and, and probably dribble more, but I was on playoff teams every year of my career, except for my Detroit Pistons, my first year in the NBA, I was on a playoff team, so why would I go out there and be like, hey man... Screw that guy! Know Screw your role, right? What about, Reggie Miller? Who I got to shoot my threes? <laughs> I'm not going to go get Reggie Miller open. I got I got to shoot my I got to get my shots up. I got Jermaine O'Neal inside. I'm not going to pass him the ball. I'm going to get my 15 footer up like Brad Miller used to do. I'm me. I'm not Brad Miller. I'm not Reggie Miller. I'm not Jermaine O'Neal. I saw the talent in my teammates, and I'm like, well, I can make that guy better by doing what I do best, as opposed to taking a shot that I know he's going to make if I get him open. So. um yeah, that that was that was my mentality in the game, and and I think that that's another reason why I lasted longer than a lot of people thought I would uh, in this league, because I I did know how to make my teammates better, uh, not to the level of like a Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan, because those guys just made other players excellent, but I could figure out a way to maybe hurt my own stats but make the team better because I knew that. Me taking a shot at 17 feet and having a 50% chance of it going in is not as good as a shot that Peja just shoots or Reggie Miller shoots from the three-point line that's got a 60% chance of going in. So.
0: The thing I love about this conversation is I can go down all kinds of roads, <laughs> and I was going to go one way, and you just sent me to another. You made me think of Russell Westbrook, and what he did last year was great individually. But he didn't make his teammates better. He had Victor Oladipo. He had Sabonis. He had Steven Adams. Yet he dominated the ball and was compelled to do that. And the push for him for MVP, and I wouldn't have voted him for MVP personally, despite what he did in the triple-doubles all that was entertaining. But I didn't see him elevate his teammates at all and make them better. Now, part of it was on them for not knocking down shots, and so he just put his head down and own it. How do you evaluate what he did and not making his teammates better?
1: Well, I would have voted for him for MVP last year because of what he did statistics-wise. He was up there doing things that Oscar Robertson did, Wilt Chamberlain did. Those are two of the best ever. Wilt is the best ever. So the fact that he's doing things that those guys did, to me, now if he's on a cellar-dweller team, no MVP. You got to be on a good team that has a chance of winning it to be the NBA. Anybody yet. can lead the Brooklyn Nets in a scoring. Right exactly, now. and that's why I'm always. People are like, "Oh man, look at this guy! He's doing this and he's doing that." He's on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it's pretty easy to have triple double when you when you're on the team. Somebody's got to score. It doesn't matter if you win or lose because you're going to lose most of them. You're going to win maybe 20 games on the year. I'm gonna shoot this one. <laughs> so there's I, I, that. There's I'd, no
0: hesitation from you on that situation. I'd yeah.
1: like to think I would have shot the ball a hell of a lot mm-hmm. more if I was ever on a team that had no shot at the playoffs from minute one. You know, I probably would have gone for more individual statistics, but I was always on winners. Anyway, um, yeah, I I put a big value of 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 how good a player is. Uh, it, a big big part of it, the, their stock being high in my in my viewpoint is do they make their teammates better? And I agree with you that Russell does not typically make his teammates better. He is a guy that can drag a team to a lot of wins, mm-hmm. but he can't win them to get them a championship. And I think he needs to rely on his teammates a little bit more. He needs, well, these guys that he's got, they're certainly good enough. Uh, he's got the the superstars with him now. So they should be unstoppable. But is he willing to sacrifice some touches, some shots? in order to, to win a championship. And that's that's what remains to be seen uh, in Oklahoma City. You know, uh, I played with a guy uh, in Sacramento that, that was the best, most talented player I ever played with all around. He could do anything on a basketball court and make it look easy. And I played with LeBron, I played with Reggie, I played with Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Uh, but this guy was the most talented all around. He could do anything and make it look easy, Chris Webber. Over LeBron. Over LeBron. Because LeBron ah. when I played with him, LeBron couldn't pass. And I to my to me, I don't I still don't think he has very good vision. I think he throws the ball really hard. And really? it gets to places, but there's a lot of misses there too. At least there was a lot more. Uh-huh. And I just don't see he has great vision. And also I'd put him in the category that he doesn't actually make his teammates better. He's just so dominant that he gets triple and you know, double and triple team. So a lot of his teammates are just open. And it makes their job easier, but it does doesn't necessarily make them better. Um, but I anyway. just see those
0: individual challenges, he, he, you know, the memes of the Arthur, and then he'll speak out or call people out subtly on social media, and the facts of the wins to follow back that up. Oh, he backs so it whether, up. So whether than it's anybody. the
1: leadership or whatever it is, he backs it up. Yeah, he absolutely backs it up. So I'm not trying to say anything bad about LeBron James. I, I respect his game, and I loved playing with him because it made me better. Because I had less pressure on me. But C-Web jumped out But C-Web could do anything with a basketball. If he wanted to block every shot, he could block almost every shot. If he wanted to get every rebound, he could get every rebound. Problem is, he didn't always want to, as as is the case with a lot of talented players, uh, from little kids on uh, all the way to the pros. When everything comes easy to you, sometimes you get lazy. And a lot of 7-footers are that way just because. Because things come easily to us at a younger age, because we're so tall a lot of tall guys are are lazy uh, as they get older so um with chris it was just it was a learning experience for me uh, and and how i gauge people because i truly think that chris made other players better because of his ability to make things look so easy but yet be so effective and there were injured times where he just couldn't play and and there were times where he wasn't the best teammate because he was either you know out of town, he was injured and supposed to be rehabbing. Sometimes he'd you know, be in other places, but uh, hey, that's his prerogative. He can do whatever he wants. I'm, I'm, I love the guy. Uh, but uh, it, it was a learning experience from the standpoint of how much can be done with talent and seeing what where you fit in with that talent. And, and that's another guy that I'm like, you know, am I going to take – 10-15 shots a game when I've got Chris Weber I'm playing with? No. I'd rather hit him get 30 shots than me get 15 or 10. So I'd take 6 or 7. Sure. You know, and go clean up his misses and go get the rebounds. And I'd, I'd go knock his guy over because he's, you know, his guy's getting physical with him. And Chris is... You know, Chris is a big, strong guy, but at the same time, he's playing 40 minutes. I'm playing 25, 30. But your willingness to do that? I'm going to go knock his guy down and try yeah. to wear his guy out so that he's not going to get hit as hard or as much and, and take the foul. You know, like Chris fouls somebody. I raise my hand right away because I know my time is limited on the court. And that's being a good teammate and making, you know, I'd rather have Chris Weber on the floor than me and not have, and Chris is in foul trouble than me. Come on everybody wants that (laughs) a willing screener to bring it back to wrap up
0: here is a bonus and that's one of the things that I think makes him special along with several other things his natural ability his footwork what has impressed you with what he's done in just his second season
1: he's learning the NBA game so well and his you said it his his ability his nuance of of just knowing where to be and what to do is impressive because as we've been talking about the whole time some players just want to shoot. Some players just want to get the points. Some players just need touches, or they're not going to be inspired to play hard. He's not one of those guys. He's got a great basketball tradition in his family, clearly, um, and it makes me feel old because I did play against his dad a lot. <laughs> and and uh, he'll be but, in town, by the way, coming up this. Uh, I guess it's
0: almost December. In December for the home stand, wow. he's planning to come. Cool. He's in Lithuania, so he has to be up at one a.m. for tip-offs Whew. to follow. Domas. Okay.
1: D- that'd be a great show. I would like to come <laughs> see him. Very nice. I would like very much come see Sabas. <laughs> but uh, he's uh, the, 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 what do you call, What's his nickname for the for Sabonis on this team? Domas. Domas. Okay. I, I mean, Short like, for Domanis yeah. yeah. Domas. Uh, I, I love that he is, he's just got it. He yeah. just got it. He just he just gets it, and he's just doing it. And he's playing and it's the right spot. And that's another thing that, that I didn't really specifically say clearly that for my career, when I was on these, these teams, I was just a piece and, but it was always the right piece. I was always in a, in a good place for me. I was never stuck on a bad team that didn't need me except for when I was in Atlanta and nobody knows I was in Atlanta. Cause I got traded from Detroit to Atlanta and Atlanta didn't need me. They didn't want me. They just wanted to get rid of Christian Leitner's contract. So I didn't fit there. And I had, had I been in Atlanta Hawk for longer, I would have been out of the league, but This is the right place. Oklahoma City wasn't the right place for Domas, but this is. And this is the right place for Oladipo as well, clearly. But when the roster switches next year, is it going to be the right place for them? Are they going to be able to get a superstar here that knows that, hey, if you let these guys go, they're going to make me better because I'm the superstar. But I've still got to let these guys do what they do or I'm not going to be as good as I can be. And that's where the chemistry comes in, and they've got it. But Domas, it's great to watch him play. It's great to watch Oladipo flourish. Uh, and, and it's it could be just as simple as as this is finally the right spot for them and, and their teammates, and everybody's just got that right attitude. Nate's giving them the right attitude as the head coach because it comes from him. You know, if they don't like him, they don't respect his decisions. The 107-point games quickly become 87-point games. And then you got people fighting in the locker room because – there's 20 less points being scored, and right. there's a lot more losses piling up. So Guys are on contract years, yeah. and they have something to prove. And and then all of a sudden, the selfishness as, as this, towards the end of the season pick, kicks in. It's like, well, we're not going to make the playoffs. I better get some numbers. And, and it really just – that chemistry goes away. So uh, I don't see that with this team. I see this team working hard. I see this team being a fun team to watch the whole season. Even if they end up having a, a little bit I of agree. a streak where they lose, they're still going to play hard. These guys I don't see, think are going to crack that easily. I think that, that – that, They've all got good attitudes, and it looks like it. It's it, and you can see when people are faking it to make it. Like, oh yeah, we got great chemistry, but we don't really talk to each other. You know this. These guys, you can see the way they play. They actually enjoy each other, and it's fun to watch. And and so I, it's it's a welcome uh, change for the Pacers fans, I'm sure, to be able to watch that. And I encourage people to go to the games because uh, there's nothing like it uh, in person. You know, you can watch it on TV all day, but you know, go go to the games. It's a lot of fun, and and. Uh, the, the bankers life is still one of the best places in the NBA to watch a basketball game. Even with all the new arenas coming out, it's still one of the best places to watch. So I implore the Hoosiers to go out and enjoy those Pacers because it's a fun team to watch. I
0: enjoyed this conversation. Good luck with your uh, comedy, yeah, comedy show this weekend.
1: Yeah, uh, down at Crackers. show this Come see Chris Porter. Tolerate me for five minutes, but come see Chris Porter. He's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm just doing a few minutes before he gets on stage Friday and Saturday night, but, but come see Chris because he's actually really, really funny. He's one of the funniest guys uh, in in the world right now. Um, uh, he's at a Netflix special, but uh, I'm doing that. I'm going to try to get a podcast together and be big time like you are, Scott. Um, It'll be called Planet Pollard, and and uh, I'm, I'm. When can we expect that? Oh, it'll be coming shortly in the in the next week or two. I, I've just been Beautiful. lazy. I, Thanksgiving, I took a week off and did some family stuff, obviously, and and so I just got to get another recording put in and and sent to the guys. They're gonna um, edit it up and and get it out there. We'll get it on iTunes. But check my uh, Twitter, Scott Pollard thirty one, Scott with one T. Uh, I'm always. <laughs> Posting this or that, or retweeting this or that on the, on the Twitters because it's fun and, and uh, it entertains me when I do have a minute to sit down. What do you expect
0: that to be like? What do you plan to do with that podcast?
1: My podcast is going to be mostly my views on life. It's not going to okay. be a whole lot of sports. Uh, I'll talk about sports on occasion, but I've, I've already got the first one in my head. Uh, I did a test run of it, and I'm just going to tweak it a little bit before I send it back to them. But, uh, it's it's mostly current events um, and and this first one is not going to be as funny as they they all are going to be uh but more like a bar stool kind of thing where i am going to poke fun at sports more than i'm going to talk about sports because uh you know there's plenty of people like yourself that are far more uh intelligent with the numbers and the statistics and and uh pay closer attention to the trends of of sports where i'm just going to watch individual instances and you know, if there's another fight or this or that, you know, I'm gonna poke fun at stuff and and uh, having a good time. And and clearly, I've got a lot of views and a lot of words, so uh, mm-hmm. it's something that uh, probably will keep my wife a little bit more sane, so she doesn't have to listen to me all the time ranting on about this or that. There's gonna be a rant of the week and a a thought of the week, and it's gonna be kind of like a practice plan where the, there's gonna be a a formula every week, and uh, hopefully we'll get some interviews and get some people, maybe I played with or current players or whatever, uh, at some point. Uh, to bring in a little bit more uh, excitement as opposed to just listening to my voice. But going to try to keep it short and sweet and have a good time with it.
0: Planet Pollard. All right.
1: Planet Pollard Podcast. PQ.
0: Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for letting me crash here in your house for, yeah, well, for a for the, couple hours. Thanks for putting up with the good.
1: temporary abode. We're, we're in flux, obviously, but we'll be in the new house uh, in a few months, hopefully. And uh, thanks for coming over.
0: That's Scott Pollard, former Pacer, joining me here on the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'll talk to you again next week.